welcome to episode 52, our final episode of the year, of the season, should I say. And we will be looking back at the Champions League final. And to join me in doing so, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. Thank you very much, Jack. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. So the first place we'll start is the Champions League final, obviously. Liverpool versus Real Madrid in Paris. You had the record winners against one of the best teams in the world. And the first half, I think it was safe to say, was solely dominated by Liverpool. And if it wasn't for Thibaut Courtois, I think Liverpool could have very easily just run away with with the game quite early on as we did see once again Real Madrid playing quite poorly in this case I think it wasn't that much actually playing poorly as strategy because in previous games it was legitimately that the team could not keep the ball they would try to move up to move up the pitch and they wouldn't be able to or their midfield would get overrun by the opposition but in this case it was more them falling back keeping a low line um, and legitimately just looking for a counter-attack, knowing that uh, Liverpool's full-backs like to push up a lot. So I wouldn't really say that Real Madrid were bad, but uh, but it, it's definitely right to say that uh, that Liverpool did dominate the first 40 minutes. Um, and, and and like you said, they, they, they had full control of the game. Uh, they took a lot of shots, and Courtois, Courtois had an outrageous game by far far by far the man of the match like I, I i wouldn't give man of the match to anybody else because there was a huge difference he must have stomped like four clear goals he had a really really good game once real madrid began to get some actually good counterattacks and the game really changed um there was one in which benzema scored uh, and it was ruled out for offside that's a bit controversial i actually think that it was a valid goal because the ball was kind of played to him. That's 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 where it makes it quite contentious. Is obviously the rule is if it's played to Benzema in a by accident, then it, it didn't count, which is what was ruled, and that's where you kind of have to judge the situation, because obviously Fabinho or Canate didn't deliberately like try and pass it back to Allison and it went straight to Benzema. But but Allison Allison did try and play it out of sorts and then it hits uh I forgot who but I think Canate's leg. But then it's a bit and like you can apply it to the handball rule where if it's yeah. taken from a certain distance you there's not you can't react quick enough to be able to do something about it. And I think with that situation that's what was happening because the ball was kind of pinballing around Obviously, Alisson saves it, then bounces off Canate, bounces to Fabinho, and then goes to Benzema. So, I think it's a valid decision, but obviously I can see where the issues arise, because the argument of was it deliberate or not, but I, I think you can quite determine he didn't deliberately try and play the ball to Benzema. Then we hit half-time, and that's when the game really changed, and, and the fact that Liverpool were unable to beat Courtois, it started to show as Real Madrid started to counter-attack a lot more and make use of Liverpool kind of trying to be more urgent in their attempts to, to win the game. And 
there were plenty of times where Real Madrid had a good counter-attack, but they were unable to take advantage of it and score. And then we see a ball played to Valverde, who's is running down the wing. I think it's quite safe to say mishit something. And the ball went through Van Dijk, straight to Vinicius, who was wide open and was able to score. Valverde was certainly trying to take a shot. In fact, he actually didn't see the goal at first um, because he was trying to look to, to where his deflected shot went off to. Um, but yeah, it, it, it ended up as a perfect pass to, to Vinicius, who, who ended up scoring. And well, with that, after me slandering him for years, Vinicius has scored the winning goal in a Champions League final. Yeah, and obviously after that, Real Madrid kind of shut up shop, while Liverpool proved to be quite. There were chances that Liverpool had, but once again, Thibaut Courtois kind of shut them out, and Liverpool then ended up being quite ineffective, which obviously the game ended and Real Madrid left with their 14th Champions League title. However, I think obviously with the, with the game itself, it was quite apart from the first half, quite uninspiring. Or, but the game was already marred, and and I, I and I think that this game won't be remembered for what it should be remembered for, and that's because obviously we saw the game was delayed thirty six minutes because there was problems of fans getting in the stadium, and that was solely because UEFA and and the Paris authorities have been quite shit uh, at organising everything as a bunch of ticketless fans were able to get in there were a variety of different types of people whether that be Liverpool fans or, or locals there were problems with tickets being checked and fake tickets and, uh, and I think as a whole this was just horrifically planned and this isn't the this isn't the first time this year either as with the Europa League final there were issues closer to the end of the game where obviously Seville is quite is a very hot place especially around this time of the year and all the kiosks were then closed meaning no one was able to buy water and so it's becoming a bit of a theme that UEFA are quite shit at being able to help plan events yeah absolutely the the this made the kickoff be delayed by 35 minutes which obviously first of all if you're a fan trying to watch the game a parent with a child or just someone just in general like at the stadium you're like come on please it's i i can't remember the last time i watched i watch hundreds of football games i cannot remember the last time i i saw one delayed because of a logistical issue okay maybe like two or three times in the last two years because of weather conditions they've been delayed or 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 cancelled even um but i have not seen a damn football game <laughs> have a 35 minute delay because of logistical issues it is absurd um so i thought that, that was absolutely ridiculous it's not the first time this year that we've seen uh uefa mismanage a, a final like this and it kind of brings into question like what what do they even know about event planning because at the end of the day if you're a football association this is like your biggest event and 
just uh, uh, other teams can do this. They like football matches get organized all the time, and they and they go through quite smoothly. H how is this that big of a problem for for it to happen twice in one season? It's not. It's not. It's both their biggest event and their second biggest one last year as well. I mean, in the Euros, was was filled with controversy. But I think you can give Paris some slight leeway with the fact that they only had three months to plan it all. But there's that much issues. It begs the question, should Paris really be the type of place hosting it? Especially the Stade de France, which is based in Saint-Denis. And Saint-Denis is one of the poorest areas in France. And we did see that as well with locals hiding in bushes trying to mug fans as well as locals trying to break in to the stadium and then some trying to be able to get in as well so it really does beg the question that why would you host it in a place like that in the first place i mean i mean in fairness the stadium the stadium, the stadium itself is, is fit to purpose but everything else yeah. around it is is not and i think to give uh one of the biggest cities in the world such a short time period to plan such an event where you're going to see upwards of a hundred thousand people in the city more than what there already is they need longer than a couple of months and so i i, I yeah. think it's there's blame on both sides obviously it's uefa's fault partially and it is also the french authorities fault as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is something that the blame does fall on both parts. And uh, I, I do agree that it would have probably been a better idea to try and scale it down because try and, trying to host 80,000 people, like I said, at short notice is is difficult. But, but, but like I said, it's not an impossible task. I think that the main problem came from UEFA trying to get fancy and implementing a new ticket. Uh, system and that's where the main problem was but if they had kept it simple and just stuck to the basics then it shouldn't have been that bad so obviously i doubt that this is not the last we'll hear of it and i wouldn't be surprised if it probably happened again with uefa so coming out of, out of the tournament the young player of the tournament was vinicius jr honestly fair enough i can't even say anything about yeah it. I, I think we enough. can't really argue with it while well, the player of the tournament as well was Karim Benzema which I yeah. also perfectly deserved he basically carried dragged Real Madrid into the final and overall I think with what Pat with what um, Real Madrid faced in their way to get to this final whether that be in PS or whether it be in PSG Chelsea Manchester City I think as much as it hates me to say I, I think they probably deserve to win or despite the fact that they relatively poor for and only played good football in those games for probably around an hour they still probably deserve to win for having overcome those teams yeah i mean it's not unfair of them to to have won like like not in the least they played a, they played an intelligent final i think liverpool i i, I think it was a difficult game to say like oh one team clearly deserved to win because like you can say Liverpool played better and, and they dominated the game and, and therefore they deserve to win but at the same time like football is football and and Real Madrid certainly deserved their spot in the final and, and, and they played it well so yeah but I, I, I agree it's, it's not like it's an unfair or a surprise for them to, to have won so now we will have our break and then we'll be back with
Welcome back from our break. We will now round up. We will now round up some parts of whatever football news has arisen. But first, we'll start with our Bundesliga awards. The player of the year, it's quite hard to argue against, is Christopher Nkunku. He has put up an enormous... His, his goal contributions and how key he was being to Leipzig just kind of sums it all up. He's had 33 goal com- contributions. That's 20 goals, 13 assists. He's played in every single game. And the only person that really comes close to that is obviously Robert Lewandowski. But Robert Lewandowski is the one that does the majority of the scoring. So Nkunku is probably the only reason Leipzig have won, won the Pokal and two ended up in the Champions League places. Because without him, they would have been lost, especially during the Jesse March era at the beginning of the season. Obviously, when Dominic Tedesco took charge, the whole team kind of stepped up as well. But I, I still think Nkunku was so key to it all that without him, none of this would have been possible. And we even saw it in the Europa League where he was kind of dragging them against, against, against Rangers before they got knocked out. So he's just been so crucial to, to Leipzig. And I just think it's quite hard to disagree or make any argument about why someone else should win this award. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and in fairness, he does play for a small club. And then club, the young so player of the year he, is Nico Schlotterbeck. He has arguably been one of the best merit. defenders this season and has been also key to Freiburg's pursuit of European football. And as we saw in the Pokal, how how good of a defender he is, and if and obviously he's joining Dortmund this summer. And I've said before, if Dortmund get the fraction of defender he was against in that Pokal final, then they're going to be absolutely fine. But I, I think it, it's amazing to see how quickly Schlotterbeck has has developed, because he spent last season on loan at Union Berlin. Obviously, Keane was played part in the role of helping them get to Europe, and now he's came in, started straight away for uh, Freiburg, and has helped them make Europe. And he's definitely he's he's going to be a key piece in whatever happens to Dortmund now, from from when he joins. So the overachiever is is Freiburg. I think the fact that they were chasing Champions League football until the last game of the season shows kind of how well they've been managed and, and run as obviously they, they've been mainly a mid-table team for the majority since they returned to the Bundesliga but then like this season they've kind of skyrocketed skyrocketed obviously they were unbeaten for quite a bit of the seat for, for 10 games until they played Bayern and They've managed to pull in some impressive performances, such as beating Borussia Mönchengladbach six nil, and coming from behind to beat Hoffenheim. And I just think you can't. And they obviously also made the Pokal final and were on the verge of going to win it before, obviously, they they lost on penalties. So I just think it kind of just goes to show how how some shrewd signings. And a coach who has this set idea 
and is able to implement his idea over a time period and has been able to grow with the club and, and they've kind of reached this point that they're at now. I, I, overachieving normally comes across as quite bad, but I think Freiburg are overachieving in a good sense. You know, This is the type of team you want to be seeing reach Europe and, and play in the Europa League and what could have been the Champions League as well. And the underachiever, the underachiever for me was a toss-up between either Wolfsburg or Borussia Mönchengladbach. Because obviously Wolfsburg themselves were in the Champions League at the beginning of the season. They finished in the Champions League place last season. And they've made all these dis- signings that would make you think they could potentially make the Champions League again. However, the fact that they appointed Mark van Bommel kind of showed it wasn't going to work from the off. And obviously it, it kind of was made worse when they hired Florian Kofeld and there was little to no change in their form. Yeah, uh, and, and also beyond just managers, I think a lot of their players were underperforming. Uh, Maxence Lacroix obviously was a huge sensation last season and he completely died out this year. And, and he's not the only one. Beyond just, I mean, maybe his influence of the managers, but still, it and, and it kind of goes to show that their own manager their went on to win uh, the Europa League. With Fra- well, the manager they got rid of last year went on to win the Europa League, and I think just that kind of goes to show, really. But the underachiever for me is Borussia Mönchengladbach. They obviously they were in a bit of a decline, as it was. Um, when Marco Rose announced he was going to leave and there was obviously hope when Adi Hutter took charge because obviously he was part of Frankfurt's charge to the Champions League but they fell short and ended up in the Europa League but that clearly didn't work out and yes in the first game of the season they drew Bayern but then after that they got pummeled by Leverkusen and it didn't really pick up from there they only were able to really pick up points against lower teams and struggled against the teams that are in around them as well as above them. Obviously, you can lord, oh, they beat Bayern 5-0 in the Pokal. Yes, it's all well and good, but then they went and got knocked out by Hanover, who finished in the bottom half of the second division. And then you can't gloss over the fact they lost both the derbies. They lost 6-0 twice as well. And then obviously they've got rid of Adi Hutter at the end of the season. And ultimately, it's just been a, a pointless year for Gladbach. They, the team has showed all this promise two years ago with, with Marco Rosa. Obviously, they made it into the Champions League. But then when Rosa announced his departure, it just took this massive downfall. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these players end up leaving this summer whoever the new manager is because they're just not they don't feel like they don't seem like they have the desire to want to be at Borussia Gladbach anymore and are not as aligned with the project is what they would have been a couple of years ago I think that obviously begs the question who's going to take charge well, we see Gladbach get relegated for that my now. question they obviously we're heavily tipped. Obviously, Lucien Favre was hev- heavily tipped to, to come back for his second t- spell at Gladbach. Um, and they were, they'd been in talks with him for over two weeks. But 
the day after or the day before recording this on the Monday there was a general meeting at Bristol Winter Gladbach and in a Q&A section at the end the sporting director said Favre won't be taking charge of Bristol Winter Gladbach and in fact won't even be taking charge of a team in Germany and that's because Favre just doesn't see the potential in the team and I, obviously that, that goes on to show that they've kind of been the decline they've had that someone who took over this team that was fighting relegation in his first spell has said this team isn't good enough now and obviously it it, it depends who takes charge obviously there's you could, there's a host of names that are open or are not in a job that could take over and obviously it depends what they think of the squad and what transfers are made as well as obviously we drive back on a team that has the most money so I obviously I genuinely don't know if Gladbach could be relegated because I, I think you can say there are three worse teams than them in the league I think the likes of Augsburg and Hertha Berlin and potentially Wolfsburg are there and obviously it depends how Bochum do in their second season but Gladbach finished 10th at the end of the last season so albeit you can look at it and be like oh it's not that bad they were fighting relegation or above the relegation places for most of it but don't think they will get relegated but I, it honestly does depends who who takes charge and who their and if their ideas will be compatible with with how Gladbach want to be as a club uh, there's a variety of, of those names for example Daniel Fark the ex-Norwich manager um, Hannes Wolf, who last managed Bayer Leverkusen before they bought in Gerard Sione, and Vincent Company, who obviously has left Anderlecht. So, well, there potentially could be others. It was obviously Xabi Alonso was linked with them last summer, has left his role at Real Sociedad. So, it obviously depends who will take over, but because of the way Gladbach kind of put all their eggs in the basket with Fafafafa, and he kind of in a way backstab it, it's kind of left them in a poor situation especially with them not no, making no progress whatsoever when it comes to contracts or transfers so yeah I'd definitely be interested in what happens over the next coming weeks other news in the Bundesliga is the fact that Robert Lewandowski has now just obviously Robert Lewandowski has come out and said he will he wants to leave Bayern Munich this summer as well which is obviously a bit um, it's a big bombshell as it just kind of shows the way this new, these new heads of Bayern are kind of running the club. And the fact that they're willing to allow their second greatest striker ever to leave without that much respect just kind of shows potentially the direction Bayern Munich are going in as well. Yeah, I mean, you have been talking about how maybe uh, Bayern will start to collapse in the next few years. I think it's unlikely, um, looking at the players they currently have, but if they if they take this attitude with their own players and and try and, hard and hardline them, then you're going to have players like Lewandowski. He's essentially leaving because he's unhappy with the club. He, he's, he's not spoken out and said anything like truly critical, but there is a, a like a tone of bitterness to what he says, 
And if you have your players being unhappy, then your team is just going to end up imploding on itself. So uh, I, I think Bayern really have to take this and reflect on it uh, to avoid it happening again in the future. And and now speaking also of the future, what do you think uh, would be best for Lewandowski? I don't Obviously know if really he's been heavily tied to Barcelona, to but for if, both if team and player, honest. I don't think that that's the best because option. Who, who needs it? That's, that's the real question. Because obviously Robert Lewandowski is irreplaceable for Bayern, but he he the only he said he quite likes Spain. And so I think whether or not... The fact is Barcelona can't financially like afford him. Um, and so it just kind of leaves him in limbo because I don't think he, he wants to be going back to Bayern Munich when pre-season starts in in July so yeah I just I think this is a saga that would definitely be interesting to follow as it develops over time really and obviously that means Bayern are also heavily linked with Sadio Mane who they themselves said won't be a replacement for, for Robert Lewandowski because obviously they're two completely different players but it would most likely be that Sadio Mane will replace Robert Lewandowski in that role that Lewandowski played in and so finally there is obviously we, we've now reached the international football section of of the year before the players go on their break and we obviously have Nation League games with the standouts being probably Spain versus Portugal um, England play Germany Germany also play Italy as well as we see Scotland versus Ukraine in the playoff for obviously the final World Cup place. But the game that probably catches most people's attention is the finalisma, which is between Italy and Argentina. The winners of the Euros play the winners of the Copa America to win this trophy. And I think quite pointless, really. I, I, I agree. Why does anybody care? I mean, it is interesting and it is an extra football game, but I'm pretty sure most, I'm, I'm pretty sure both teams won't pull out their strongest lineup, won't play their best football. I think the fans aren't super yeah, into uh, it either. This type of thing is uh, what so the like, Confederation Cup I, I, I don't, is for. I don't really care, you man. Know, you want to see, because you can't be like, oh, this makes this team one of the best teams in the world or whatever the team of the champions because you need to include the other teams involved like Senegal um, and and the US you need to include teams like that so I just think this is just a pointless game really you're not really going to it's a glorified friendly and people say the Nations League is also glorified friendly but that's not as bad this is generally just a glorified friendly where some team will come out of it with a trophy that won't even mean a lot it's basically like a community shield. Well, that's what it, it, that's, that's literally what it, it is. It's it's an international version of a super cup. It, it is for most people, especially it's if literally like a, community a glorified shield, community which shield. is a glorified many people really don't care anymore. So that is it for today, and that is it for this season as well. Thank you for listening. Um, please, you can follow us, like us, subscribe, and we will be back sometime in August 
probably, unless anything significant happens until then. Yep, thank you very much for listening and we will see you all later.